All right. All right. We are live. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another epic episode of Pendergast Podcast. And man, let me tell you guys what an honor it is and a special treat I have for you today. My man, Michael Howarth. Welcome to Pendergast. Thanks for having me on, mate. It was... Uh... Yeah, it was strange to to walk around Cadwell Park the other the other week when you were down there on the, the Bank Holiday weekend over in in the UK, and some some crazy American guy comes steaming over and wow man, and then because uh, of your relationship with a friend of mine, Dave Neal, you was like, oh, I need to get you on this podcast, dude. And immediately I thought, well, great, great. I've not done so many this year. I was actually going to have a bit of time off from doing podcasts, but then when you said yeah, I need to get you on, my first thing, my first thought was. Americans won't understand a word I'm saying, man. But yeah, you've said you can understand me well enough. So if there's if there's any interpretations need doing or uh, or whatever, I can I can explain my, uh, my my words, my words. Yeah, but no, it's great to be on. It's great to be on. Yeah, man. Again, what an honor it is um, just to have you here, man. Yes, all because of Dave Neal. Thank you so much, Dave Neal. Big shout out to him. If you guys don't follow Off Track Podcast, I don't know what you guys are doing. Uh, after you listen to this podcast, uh, yeah, you need to get on to off track and, and rewind and, and, and go listen to him. So, Mike, listen, enough about that. Why don't you introduce yourself to all these Americans that don't know who you are and uh, tell us how you got into motorcycles? <clears throat> right. OK. I've just <coughs> excuse me. I was just looking down and I wasn't really ignorant. I've just uh, shared it to my Facebook now. As, as you, uh, you worked out, I'm not very good with technology. It was a nightmare just getting on here. So. So, yeah, um, how did I get into motorcycle racing? Well, <clears throat> back when I was, as a, uh, as a, as a young boy, my me, me father had motorcycles. Um, he sadly passed away when I, when I was 14, so I had to become a, a man, a man really quite um, early in, in, in my life. I'd had a couple of motorbikes, um, but I was actually destined to go and be a professional rugby player at the time. I mean, you, you've seen me... Um, for the Americans, it's like American football, but we don't wear as many pads. But I can't diss American football because the way them guys eat each other, I'd want all that padding on as well. But so, the, yeah, the, my life took me into professional rugby. Um, I had an injury playing that. Uh, I broke my my right leg quite severely. Spent a year trying to get fit again to go back and carry on playing, and I just couldn't. I, I was tipped to kind of go to the top. I, I as we go through the motorcycle thing, you'll, you'll explain. Motorcycle was my love, and I got to where I wanted to be. But I was actually really, really good at rugby to a, to a, a level of being able to play for, for my country and such. But I broke my leg, and I had 12 months trying to get fit again and thought, just not doing it. And I kind of bit the bullet. Um, and as I just said to you, just, just off air then. So what happened was, I thought, I need to do something else with my weekends because I was going out and partying and enjoying my life too much and getting a bit fat and whatever. I thought, <laughs> so I'm going to go and do a track day. And at the time, I'd just bought, a, you call them RC51s, SP1s over here. Absolutely. I love them. I've got one in bits that I need to build, uh, build now. And I went and did this track day. And there's all these other bikes on track that look like race bikes. And I'm flying past all these guys and I'm thinking, nah, I'm Valentino fucking Rossi, mate. I am fast. But what I didn't realise was these were just normal guys on a track day that had took all the road fairings off the bike and put race fairings on. So they weren't really racers. So then one thing led to another. A friend of mine was already doing a bit of club racing over here. Uh, and he had a couple of uh, Aprilia RCVs, the V-twins. And he lent me one. He said, come and have a race. So 
did the thing, got my license. Back then, to get a race license in the UK, you had to go and get your eyes tested and fill a form in, and you got your race license. It was that simple before bureaucracy and health and safety got into it. So that's how I got my license. Otherwise, I'd never got one. And one thing, we got them to Cadwell Park. That was my very, very first race. That's why I love the place so much. And did my first race, and I think they turned the lights off in the clubhouse and the bar truck by the time I'd finished my first fucking race. I was that far back. It was awful. Uh, and then the day after, I calmed down, and my friend spoke to me to look, you know, you, you're better than this. Even on track days, you've been going around faster. So just calm down. You're in the novice group. Just ride through. And by the end of that weekend, I'd, I'd claimed my first trophy. I'd, I'd had a third place in the novice race. So we thought, we need to go. We need to do a little bit more with this. Um, with all the family around me. It was, it was towards the end of the year anyway, so there was only a couple of other rounds left. We didn't bother with those. But I went away over the winter. Um, I bought a Ducati 996S um, that had the all-in rear shot, but the shower, shower front forks. Right. The, even when I bought it, the bike was... It, it, I mean, it was a decent-looking race bike, but it was still... It had been haggard. It, was, it had been used well. So the rebound didn't even work on the rear shot, but at the speeds you were going at club racing then, it didn't really matter. Your suspension was there and thereabouts, but it didn't matter. So we um, we did all right in that first season. I finished third in the, the New Era Sound of Thunder Championship, it was, and it was for all V-Twins. Now, bearing in mind the guys that were first and second in that championship that year, I had two ex-Troy Bayliss World Superbikes, uh, Ducatis, or Ducati, as you guys call them. Um, <laughs> uh, and mine was just an old nail, but I did, I did well enough, and the guy that I'd palled up with a little bit in the, in the race paddock was going to go and do BSB the, the year after. And he said, why don't you sell your Ducati, buy a ZX-10, how's it going, um, and just come and do the Superstock. Now, back then, there was the Superstock, which you saw at Cadwell, the Superstock guys, and there was a thing called the Superstock Cut, which was for, for, for newcomers as such, but on the 1,000cc bikes. And I had a fair season, in, fair season doing that. Um, I think I had the best... Qualifying a fifth at Thruxton, which is another one of my most favourite circuits. That's a place, you, next time you come, you should come there. That is just wild. Thruxton, it's, huh? Oh, it's so fast. It's, it's, it's a bit, it's almost like the TT, really. It feels a little bit illegal while you're doing it <laughs> because it's just that quick. Sorry, I'm just going to plug me. Before no, you're good. Um, so, yeah. Um, so, I went into the Superstock Cup that season. I was on for a podium at Alton Park in the rain um, and I nearly come off at the last turn and I finished, I think, so my best ever finish was about fifth and I finished 10th in the championship. And then some guy come over to me that had helped me a little bit through the year. He said, do you fancy going on my superbike? Now, bearing in mind, this is very late October, early November in England. And we went to Alton Park and it was freezing. I think that when we got there in the morning, it was minus two. And I don't think the track temperature went above four degrees. When I jumped on this superbike that looked very much like my ZX-10, uh, Kawasaki, but it was a full superbike, and I got on this thing. Oh, right. Oh, it's, back then, it was doing nearly 200 brake horse in 2006. It was a proper... Like the superbikes now, it had no traction control. But, and I've got to say, there was quite a few of the laps where it nearly went down, and I thought, <laughs> I'm going to get a very big bill if I crash this. But, but the test went well. Um and he said, do you want to ride the Superbike next year for me and my team? And, and I said, yes. Um, and because I, was, because I was such a late starter, I was already in my kind of mid-20s at this point, um, not like the kids that start at five and six years old. I'd done a few of the rounds in the Superstock Cup where the times were good, 
but the the organizer Stuart Higgs, the boss of BSB, was like, "You've done a year in in BSB in in the paddock. You're not really ready to go into superbike." And I was like, "I'm more than ready. Um, if I'm going to set my mind to do something, I'll do it, and it and it matters not." So he said, "Right, go to a ref." And we went on a 10-day test in, in Jerez um, and actually won my first race out there on a superbike. They had one at the end of the two-week test. Won that. Come back to the UK. Stuart Higgs said, that, right, come to the first test at Snetterton. I'm going to give you a lap time that you must reach. And if you don't reach it, your season's over. I did two laps, fell off, broke my leg. <laughs> <And> I thought, <laughs> um, someone, someone run into me and I broke, me, I broke my tailor's bone in my left ankle, which is the one where, that everything rotates around. It's, yeah. a, it's one of the bones like you scare for you that gets hardly any blood source. Right. So it took a, a while to fix that, but we thought it was over. But Stuart Higgs basically just said, oh, come on, come and have a go at it. Um, so I, just, I missed the first couple of rounds, got to Alton, and I think <clears throat> by round four or five, I'd, I'd already put it on the podium in the Superbike Cup class that there was then. Uh, took my first win at Cadwell Park, of course. So that meant everything to me. Um, yeah, Probably. and then carried, then, then went on from there. Um, to owning my own teams and kind of been in and out of BSB ever, ever, ever since. Um, if you have any questions about that bit, ask me now because it's a still got a lot to say about <laughs> where to, to, get to, to get to this day. Um, so, yeah, 2007 come around uh, and this guy that I've been riding for basically said, the price for the ride now is X amount. And I went, there's, there's no way. I didn't think I could raise it to start with. But then I also said, I'm not giving you that amount of money to walk away at the end of the season with absolutely nothing. You know, basically carrying your kit bag out of the truck right. and going. So <clears throat> we sat down with the family and they said, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I want to race in, in superbikes. And somebody contacted me out of the blue because I'd been putting on Facebook, I was looking for something. And they were selling a team, um, JHL Honda, I think it was. And Steve Plater had rode for him in that year. They had a couple of Hondas which were a really, really good superbike back then because you didn't have traction control. So the, the chassis meant everything and they were so smooth and brilliant. And somehow we managed to raise enough funds to buy two bikes and all this all the team attire apart from the truck. So we were ready to race. Um, and we went to Almeria in Spain, did some testing there and I was absolutely flying. We went to the first official test back at Snetterton again for, for BSB and it was raining the Friday and the Saturday. And I mean pissing down. I even topped a timesheet. I was faster than Hickey and Kianari at one time. Boom! Yes! Just go! Yeah! Uh, I still got those timesheets to this day. But on... Um, I, crashed one of, I crashed one of my bikes on the Saturday afternoon. But because I was one of the only riders on track, Dunlop were coming, taking the tyres away and, you know, testing them and looking at them and seeing how the, the wet tyres were performing. So on the Sunday... Back then, we were still in the middle of a tyre war between Michelin and Dunlop and, and Pirelli and whatnot. So Dunlop come over, and as a reward, they gave me a tyre, a special tyre. And they said, we're going to give you this so you can have a roll around today, but you will never see this tyre again. It was, it was literally, back then, the tyre war was that intense that Dunlop couldn't produce enough tyres for everyone on the, Dun on the Dunlop shod bike to, to have these tyres. But I was two seconds a lap faster than I've ever been, just off the tyre, just off the tyre. I never got anywhere. When we went to race there at Snetterton during the year, we could have never got anywhere near it. But unfortunately, at the first actual round at Brands Hatch, um, some of the guys in America will probably remember this, but in 2007, Orleans had brought out a new fork called the FJR 700. 
and it was the one that on the flute bits they, they had big cutouts. Mm-hmm. Beautiful things, beautiful things. But they'd, they'd manufactured them wrong and they'd put two, a, a really fine thread in the bottom where they go into the stanchion at the bottom. Yep. And took too much material away. So on the Sunday morning, it comes onto the back straight in warm-up and I've got Shaky Burn at one side of me and Steve Plater at the other. And I'd just given both the Vs just having a laugh and I set off. And I went down the back straight and as I put my brakes on and tipped in, I saw my front wheel disappear into the distance. Oh, no. And at first, I thought, fucking hell, the guys have not put, um, they haven't tightened my front wheel spindle up and that's what's happened. It's fallen out. But it wasn't the bottom of the forks had snapped. Um, ah, and it's, a, it's an 140 mile an hour crash there at, at best. It was, a, it was a big and I remember flying through the air and I heard this big snap and I come to, I come to rest on the floor and my right leg was by my left ear. It was like, oh. oh. So I pushed it away, and at this point, I'm convinced my leg's been ripped off. But I'm looking at the blood, and I'm like, well, there's no blood. Um, went to the hospital. They put a rod in it. Um, and But I was going to be out for quite some time, so we decided then to bring another rider in called Tristan Palmer. Um, so I then took over the, 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 the mantle of being the team manager and, and kind of owner. Uh, and Tristan started winning straight away. So by the time I was ready to be fit to be back racing anyway there was no point me getting on it because we were leading the Superbike Cup Championship and we had a chance of winning a Superbike Championship in our very first year of competition. So we left Tristan on it. And um, thanks to a certain uh, Mr. Mr. Paul Bird, God rest his soul, who we've, yeah. we've recently just lost at BSB. Absolutely. We got to, we got to Donington, which was about three rounds left. Um, and I mean, the title chase was, it was fairly close, but we were still doing okay. But money was getting tight and the engines were getting very tired. And we would we'd kind of, I think one of the engines had got, had got an oil leak. And my chief mechanic at the time said, listen, do you know Paul Bird? And I said, I said, yeah, yeah, we've, we've, we've spoke a bit. You know, I'm, I'm pally enough and I've been around the paddock for a year or two by now. He said, go and see if we can borrow an engine off him. Because if we, you know, if we send him, send Tristan out on this engine and it blows up, we're 20, we lose 25 points like that. So kind of a bit bold and brash, I thought, yeah, I'll do it. So I went down to, to Paul's truck and went in the back and I said, mate, this is a script with our engine. Is there any chance you could rent us one or, or we'll pay for the, for the mileage? You know, we'll, we'll, we'll come up with a deal. And he, he buggered off a minute and he come back in after uh, with his, well, the team manager he had at the time. And he went, take that engine there. And I went, well, how much is it going to cost? He went, take that engine there. Give us the engine to win it, and, and then three rounds later, we were Superbike Cup champions. Um, as it turned out, at the end of that year, then we got a big sponsor on board, um, which was a company called Tenor for Men. Now, in this country, Tenor is a tenor lid. It's a a pad that women have for for, for the time of the month or when they get older. Right, for it, right. Continent. Right. But men also get incontinent, so this they wanted. <laughs> so we. But imagine turning up at the first round with that all over your tenor for men. Everyone ripped, basically took the piss because it was about... But anyway, um, <clears throat> but they come on board and we subsequently bought two two of Paul Bird's bikes from from 2007, which was Sykes's and uh, Shaky's bikes. Nice. We put us a spares package together that was unbelievable. And, and yes, it was a lot of money, but what we got was far more than what we paid. And he just said, he said, look, he said... You use that engine, you didn't give it as back. He said, we'll just put 500 quid on the bill. Is that all right, by you? Now, one of, she- one of Birdie's engines would have cost thousands to build. Facts. It just went, yeah, but it'll be right. Um, and then continue to help me on and off 
for the rest of my racing career, just with, with little bits when you needed something and you didn't know who else to ask. Bird would have a contact or he'd know where to go. He had, when he went to the Kawasaki's um, in the early 2010s, 11s, he had a swinging arm made that only, only he could get. It, it, was his, it was his team's design and wouldn't sell it to anybody. We bought a bike off somebody that had one on, but I was going to run two riders. So again, straight away, rings birdie. Do you fancy selling as a swing arm? Because I don't want one lad saying he's faster than me because he's got the swing arm and I haven't. Straight away, rings his man up. Give that man one of them swing arms. Just, just a mega guy, you know. And it's, it's quite fitting that we're doing this this podcast and I get to be able to, you know, just just say my own personal thank you to to, to what Birdie did for for my racing career, my racing team. It was, it really was. It, like a, the the tributes that have poured in and, and Fred did a, an amazing job at, at Alton Park at weekend and there's been so much rope, but a lot of the public never got to see the really good side of Paul Bird because he was, in interviews, he was very abrupt. And, and at one time, he was very cutthroat. And if his riders weren't performing, he wouldn't care about sacking them. You know, he was there to win. Yeah. So they never got to see the softer side. The amount of riders that still didn't even get mentioned at the weekend that Paul helped behind the scenes and kind of, it was always a bit like, I'll help you do this, but don't tell anybody. You know, he, was, he wasn't, he didn't want to do it for the accolade and the, and yeah. the thanks and the publicity. It was... He loved racing yeah. and he would help where he could, you know. So, yeah, it's um, it's nice to be able to just say thank you to Birdie on a, on a, on a podcast like this for sure. And, and that also just goes to show, man, what a proper bloke he was throughout the whole community. Like, to me, he is BSB, right? I mean, he was such a complete in everything. And you're right. He, he was cutthroat when he needed to be cutthroat. But, again, dude, he helped so many people within the paddock, like, like you just got done saying that that didn't get recognized, but his love and passion for the sport will, will always be there and always grow. Right. It, and Birdie will always be with B. Birdie is BSB to me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 100%. Hopefully, you know, his team have got plans to, to carry on again next year. And I hope, hopefully they, they'll be there and I'm pretty sure they will be. And, um, you know, it's <clears throat> what they kind of didn't really mention over the weekend is you've got to remember that Paul Bird and his little team from, from Carlisle in, in England. Yes, he used to buy factory bikes or ex-factory bikes and stuff, but at the time when Birdie was kind of winning winning some of his championships, he was taking on the might of HRC. And he's a man in Cumbria that sells chickens. You know what I mean? It, yeah. it's, so it's yes, he had yes, he had money to be able to do that and take on people, but what they don't realise is just how it was Birdie running his team and getting the right people and, and the best people that, that could beat the mites of the, of the Japanese at the time. You know, he's, they've got more BSB championships than Honda. And Honda UK have dipped in and out with HRC help. If, you know, if Honda sent, want Japanese riders, they'll send them here, etc. Or in 04, it was a full HRC effort when Michael Rutter and Kianari was were riding from. But yeah, there's... Yeah, he did some fucking things, that boy. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. So, hang on, Jules. Uh, I'll chime you in here in a second. What What is your fondest memory of Birdie? My fondest memory of Birdie. Um, it's it's quite a it's a weird one, really, um, because of his of his wealth and such things. Um, he. I once went to a party at his house and he taught me to, he taught me that night how to be a little bit more humble about things and not not kind of sh- not not show off as much because um, I'd gone into his house and I was just in a in a in a I was amazed and he had a 
he had a fridge with some with some bottles of champagne in, and I went to take a picture, and he went, "Don't do that. Clowns do that. You don't post pictures of crap like that, you know." And it, that's that was one of my fondest memories because I just took a lot from it that you don't need to, you know, show your wealth or show your friends and all that. You know, Ra showing things at racing is fine, but the personal stuff in the background is 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 that's what it's that's what it is. It, it's in the background, but yeah, he just just a funny guy that you could. I had many phone conversations with him and. It was just, it was just a laugh, you know. It, you never, you never, th he was never up himself, right. you know. He never, never looked down on you, really. Right. That's that speaks volumes of of, of who Bertie was as a person, right? Um, what's your uh, fondest crazy party story with with Bertie? Because I know you got some. <laughs> <laughs> just, I think just the, like, um, just the end of season parties where it, you know, you'd be. You'd be walking around the paddock and just I'm just a little little minnow in the paddock and Birdie'd be there and you'd see him and he'd give you a wristband and say, Make sure you turn up to my party tonight, boy. And yeah, yeah, he was you know, it was funny. he was a good guy. He was a good guy, yeah. Can't really say to too many stories on, on yeah. here. Yeah, no, you're good. Yeah, yeah. It's a, he will be well missed, but he's he will forever live Mr. BSB Birdie yeah. for sure. 110%. Jules, what is up, my man? What's up? What's up? No, I'm What's just up? I'm, out, I'm out here just learning. And just in awe of what I'm hearing, because it's the first time I'm I'm, I'm hearing all of this. So uh, yeah, man, this is definitely an interesting story for someone who doesn't like to flex like Birdie. I, and he throws wild parties like that. He's like no flexing, but hey, I, I could throw a party. Listen, yeah, and the, the end of season parties at BSB used to be. I mean, they're a little bit calmer than the, now, nowadays. But you'd just be going from one team tent to another. You know the hospitality, and mm -hmm. it'd just be madness. Me and me and my best friend, Carl Harris, who sadly passed away at the, yeah. at the TT. There was one year he was riding for Honda and he'd broken his ankle. So it must have been, was it 06 or 07? They built him a bike at the last round because he was riding a BLD Honda, which was built by Honda UK. But they built him a full HRC spec Honda because they needed him to kind of interfere with Gregorio Olivia. Right, so that Keo could win the championship, but Carl, in his in his usual way, I think he put it on. He might have even put it on Paul, but the first lap he sent the bike to the moon and broke his ankle. And we went into to the under hospitality, and we come out absolutely steaming drunk, and we couldn't, <laughs> we couldn't find my pit scooter. Um, there was some police there, so we're like, yeah, somebody's nicked our fucking scooter, and we can't get around because he's broke his ankle. So I'm giving him a piggyback. And all it was, me and him was too drunk to realise we put the, the scooter down the side of the hospitality. So we, after walking around for 45 minutes, we found it and then went flying back past these police officers. Absolutely total, like. Going, yeah, we found it. It's private land and we weren't doing no harm. And I think, you know, I'm sure Carl got a telling off a Honda, but yeah, that was, <laughs> that was a good night. We, me, and, me and Carl had some, some good parties. Some good parties. Hence the, hence the nickname Shotgun Michael Howarth. <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you can shotgun a beer. Oh, wait, what is that? Oh, oh that's a beer. It's Vinto Energy. It's, I don't Vinto. think you guys have that over, over in no, America. No, we don't. No, no, no. It's, no. Um, it's, it, it's just, but I, I've, drunk, I've drunk Monster Energy for years, but um, Vinto, it's a cordial drink over here, which you guys don't really have over there, do you know that you mix with water? No, no. And they've brought out this energy drink, and now I'm addicted to it. But as the night goes on, or as this podcast goes on, we've got there you go. Hey. There you go. We got a proper pint in the house. That's right. Back in back in my rugby days, um, I was I was I was known for drinking for being able to drink. I could drink a pint of 
lager in under a second. Wow. And I could do two and a half pints of snake bite in two and a half seconds. <laughs> well, next time me and you get together, uh, yeah, it's going to be a proper mega time. Got to get that way. Booked up. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, we, we, we got this comment from, from Mark Davey. He says, my wife loves VR46. There was no chance of getting his autograph. Lynn and I were guests of the Stuart Eastern and Brands Hatch, and we got to speak to Mr. Bird. He asked for our address. A month later, a letter came from Paul. Inside was not only VR46's autograph, but a letter from VR to my wife. Also, there were two hospitality tickets to the next round at Snetterton. Beast of a track. This guy was a legend to us. Going to miss him so bad. Love your Howie. <laughs> That's me, Howie. Yep, yep. Love you, Absolutely. Howie in the hoodie. Man. I mean, this is my, my logo from racing. Oh, um, nice. See there. Yeah. So the, the O, because I was a rugby player, they, they made into a rugby ball, but somebody actually pointed out the other day, it's not a rugby ball, it's an American football. So for you, <laughs> a rugby ball in my, in my logo, and it's not. It's Hold up. American handball, football, soccer, right? Let's just clear up the air, right? It's Americans got it all fucked up when it comes to that football. Listen, mate, that soccer ball, football, whatever you want to call it, is not for me. It's just shite. Yeah. Yeah, it's crap. Kicking a football around for hours is not for me. Yeah. I think it's called football because it's a game of distance. So, like, so instead of like, like literal football, I think it's the distance of feet. Which is three feet in the yards, which like which yards are how they calculate how far they, they go within each play. But there's not one moment in American football where they mention the metric measurement of feet. It's either yards or inches. So it doesn't make sense to me. I I, I have no clue. <laughs> like like if, if you're gonna do it in a an American metric system, call it yard ball. <laughs> like, that makes right? sense. Yard ball, yeah. You right because if if you watch American football, it's uh, five yards till this, one yard till that, right. one yard, blah blah blah. We never mentioned feet, no. but I've always been curious, man. Like, what what was like the workout regimen? Um, being a superbike racer versus being a rug a rugby player. Well, so yeah, well, so initially in the in the transition year from from rugby to to racing, I was still quite I was still quite big. I'd have been. 15, 15 and a half stone, nearly, nearly 100 kilos, whichever, I don't know what it is in pounds. Um, I'm how, how many kilos? 100. Uh, around about 100 kilos when I was at my biggest for, for rugby. So, how like what, like 205 maybe? Some 205 yeah. pounds, something like yeah. that. So, I had to immediately, I had to change my training regime to go from, I mean, obviously, rugby's short, sharp sprints. And so, you, you know, you've got to get quite a bit of cardiovascular fitness, but nothing like we, you, you have with racing. So, that was the biggest thing straight away was going on a push bike and, and getting some some weight off and then but even then at my at my lightest in in super bikes i was still by quite a margin that the heaviest but the heaviest bloke there it was i got to 13 stone and i once went underneath that to about 12 and a half and i just had no strength so i couldn't really i couldn't perform then um you know it's i got to i had the dream of getting to super bikes once i got into to racing but that was kind of my goal. I knew I'd got into it too late and I knew I was never going to win the full title and, and take on the mics of, of Shaky Burns. So my, my goal was get to Superbike and do okay. And I scored points in the, in the proper championship. Some of the times I was right at the back, but I didn't care. And I could have quite easily dropped down into Superstock or gone club racing and, and, and won. But that just didn't, that, that wasn't my mentality. I wanted to cha challenge myself 
against mm-hmm. the best, some of the best riders in the world. And I got to do that. And occasionally, if it was raining, I'd get I'd get a good result. You know, I was a really I'm quite good in the wet because I just didn't I didn't care. I didn't care. Yeah, yeah. Ultimately, ended my career in the rain, but that's another story. <laughs> yeah, man. The, the the fear factor ain't there anymore. I mean, you're you're used to like clashing shoulders with like people two times your size. But I, I, the 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 fitness aspect is is crazy because as somebody who I, I practice a lot of boxing, mixed martial arts, right? So I know what that cardio is like. But when I first I went when I first went on track on a mini bike, I was exhausted. Like probably like my like sixth lap, I was. <sighs> I think I'm just gonna chill this lap because <laughs> I, I I imagine like in rugby, it's like you kind of pick and choose when you turn your your energy on, right? When 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 you when you kind of twitch your muscles versus yeah. like in in racing, you're like constantly on edge and you constantly have to be flexed the whole time. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure you can find times to relax, but those times are very minuscule. Yeah, and what I mean, what you've got to remember over a, over a race weekend at, at BSB, you've got FP one that's forty odd minutes long, FP two forty odd minutes, then you're into the next day through qualifying, and now they go to, go straight into a race, and you two race on the Sunday, so you've got, you know, you're on the bike for quite a lot of time. So your your, your fitness, your, your cardiovascular fitness needs to be absolutely at a peak, um, and then your muscles can't be too big because then you start suffering from arm pump. I mean, I've had the proper full arm pump operations on this. Um, me and Cal Crooks had them done at the same time. And the, the, way, the way they measure it is the expansion of the arm. And they'd never seen anything like mine. And Cal Crooks was the, the expansion. They were like, Jesus. Look like Popeye the Sailor Man. Yeah, basically. Basically. Facts, right? basically yeah. yeah, it looked, my, my, my forearm looked like I'd spent a lot of time being single, you know? <laughs> 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 a lot of lonely nights, man. I love it, man. It's hard out here in the streets. Yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah. Where, where, where are you? Where, where are you right now, Ali? Where am I right now? I am yeah. in my workshop right now. Mm-hmm. Um, this is where the, the story kind of ends from from racing to this. I never, I've never got my my workshop that I, I do bikes in. Um, there's a couple. There's one on the and a on the ramp there. So I'm building and prepping race bikes for people, um, servicing road bikes, finding bikes, just. Just a continuation. I got, as I say, we're kind of, we're kind of skipping quite a lot of the racing. But in 2016, uh, I, I rode for a team, a BMW team that had one of Kianari's ex um, oh, built race BMWs. Yeah. Absolute missile of a thing. Fucking hell, it was fast. Um, and at Alton Park, I'd not rode that season. We'd done a test on it. Got Friday morning, it was wet. I went out and did my outlap, and the the team owner had said, "Listen, just take your time and build into it." And I went out like, no, it's where I'm on this. So I can remember I, I did my outlap and I come down the start, finished it, and I'm doing the doctor's dangle and everything and the bike's all over. <laughs> this is fucking brilliant. I love it. And I didn't finish the lap. Danny Buchan come past me. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's my thought, guy right there. I can keep up with Danny Buchan in the wet. And I actually didn't. I lasted in the next corner and I went to the moon. I sent a really big eyesight. I because I already had a, a rod in my leg from the from the previous crash in 2007, they'd left the rod in, so my hip my hip bone snapped off my femur. Oh, um, but I'd and I'd also broke my shoulder and dislocated that my left shoulder, and I'd brought me back in six places. Ooh. But I got I managed to get to my hands and knees before I realised that there was something really wrong. Right. And then one of the marshals come running over because I was still just I was just on the track, and he picked me up by my broken shoulder or tried to. And uh, for for a lad who thinks he's, he can he can handle a bit of pain, I squealed like a pig. I oh, bet. Wait, the, the marshal picked you up. 
Yeah, yeah, he come running onto the track to help me because the bike was in the middle of the track. And then, it, you know, we were in the middle of, of, of Friday practice, so there's 20 bikes coming flying past me. So he come on to try and pick me up. But he, he didn't know it was broken. Neither did I till he touched it. Um, <laughs> so then I got airlifted to hospital. Um, they put a rod in my leg again and repaired my hip and put my shoulder back in. And I think it was, I think six weeks later, I tried to race again at Snetterton. It six weeks from a broken back and a snapped leg. To, to being back on the bike and trying to race. Senator's sick. No, I, uh, the, 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 only, the only reason why I, I asked about the whole Marshall thing is because we uh, I I marshal a lot of races. I, mar- I marshal countless MotoGP, Moto America, uh, Formula E races. And they tell us never to touch the uh, the, the rider or the driver because you don't know what's what's going on with them. You're like, you're like, you got to wait for them to get up. Yeah, well, well, that's it. I'd already got to my hands and knees. So it looked yeah. like it was okay. It was the same in in 2007 when I when I snapped my my ankle. I was laid in the middle of the track and I got up and I walked away. Mm-hmm. And I'm just starting to, as I'm getting a bit closer towards the fence. I'm thinking, fucking hell, this hurts a little bit. And so I fell over the fence. But because I'd walked away, they all thought I was all right. They didn't send an ambulance around for half an hour because he just thought, oh, he's just having a minute. He's sitting down and carrying. But I'm on the other side of the fence going, where is someone? But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, I, yeah, no, because no. that. Oh my bad. Oh, that that's exactly like what what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to like make sure you're like you're okay, okay for you to and and then we'll make that call, you know, to to yeah. get you an ambulance soon, or whatever. As soon as he picked me up, it, they soon red flagged it and realized that I was in a in a bit of a worse state than, than I thought. <laughs> I bet, yeah. It's like, yeah, man, my, my, my leg's dangling, but we are right. Yeah, <laughs> good. We got, before the air lifted me off, they, we went to the medical center and they were trying to put my arm back in and they lifted it to this point because there was too much muscle mass, they couldn't kind of get it back in. And they'd give me morphine at this point and liquid paracetamol. And so the, the doctor said, listen, we're going to have to give you some of the horse tranquilizer, the ketamine, because we, we need to basically make you relax and calm down because I'm like I am now. I was like, I didn't really care. Uh, and they give me that. And then the next thing, the world was full of pink elephants and all sorts of crap. And then I, <laughs> I was speaking to the doctor on the wrong side. I didn't even know he was there. And they managed to get it in. And, and yeah, the, the rest is history on that. Jesus. Freaking awesome. <laughs> that, and that's exactly why we, we try not to, 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 to touch the rider. You know what I'm saying? Because we don't know if you have a broken arm, right? Mm. So, like, for all we know, that dude could have made it worse. Yeah. So like that. So that that that's what kind of stuck out to me. Yeah. I, I see. I see like videos of of marshals and like like other countries like full blown hugging like MotoGP riders when they yeah, like, yeah, you'll yeah, be yeah. all right, bro. Like let me pick you up real quick. And I'm just like, yo, these guys are skinny and fragile, and I feel like I'm about to snap a twig if I ever. I'm a pretty big dude myself, man. Like I, I like so. It's it, me picking up one of those guys. I'll probably break something like trying to help. <laughs> facts right again because because i was known in the paddock and, and and friendly with all the marshals they just knew me as the the big daft idiot one so if you thought oh he's managed to get to his hands and knees and get up there can't be a lot wrong he's with good. him so just go straight <laughs> like yeah let's get him up he'll be fine he'll be out it next session but fuck he wasn't that day no, no it, was, it was it was savage yeah but um if you're working if you want me to work back a little bit from there we'll go back to so the 2008 season um, that was the tenor for men on the Expo Birds bikes, and we kept Tristan on. So he actually got the bikes from Paul Bird, and I stayed on the, the Hondas from the previous year. Um, and I had a few fair results, but there were things going on 
behind the scenes that the public didn't know about and such, even though it was my, I don't want to start dissing people and, and you right. know, a long right, time right, going, yeah. fun, but there were just things in the background that were making it not work for me. Um, so that team ended at the end, end of that year. Tristan finished 10th in the championship. We still kept him going and doing really well. So then in 2009, I was without a ride and I went, I think halfway through the season, I joined a, the what was classed as the factory MV Augusta team in the UK. Holy um, shit. Mm. That bike. Why can't a, we have one? As a chassis was incredible. <laughs> even then, it, even though we were the, the engine was tuned, it just didn't have any steam whatsoever. It was just, it was, the engine was old. Do you know what I mean? By then, the, the, everything else had moved on and developed. So the, the chassis was brilliant. It handled like a dream, but you were never going to do anything on it unless it was absolutely p- pissing down with rain. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did that. Then 2010, I rode for a, a guy called Dave Tyson, who subsequently become a good friend. Did half a season with him, but again, he's Suzuki. We, we, we just started doing the, the British Superbike um, Cup with the new rules that they now run in, in the full Superbike class with the Motec that doesn't have traction control and anti-wheeling and everything to, to aid the riders. Did half a season with that, and then it was kind of, it just wasn't working out. I had 2011 off. Then I got my team, my, I bought a Kawasaki team, and tried to run that for half a season. And then a sponsor that had promised the world never paid up and left me with about two pounds on my dining room table. I'd literally spent everything I owned because he kept promising, just keep going, keep going. This money's coming, this money's coming. Um, you know, he'd promised us like a quarter of a million pounds. And I saw, sure. saw not a penny of it and it broke me. Wow. So then I went, I went into the wilderness for a bit then. And that's when it, it wasn't until 2016 when I, when I, when I had the comeback that didn't last. So, so since then, after retiring, um, it's, it's just in my blood. It's, it's, I am consumed almost to a point of, of being a little bit too obsessed with it, but it is just my absolute lifeblood. I I thrive on, on, on BSB. I love it. I love racing. I love motorcycles. It's just, you know, if things are ever so slightly new because I've just had my first son a a year and a half ago. Um, so life's, life's good in that way. The missus is grand, but yeah, I've, and because I had to retire through injury, that itch has never been scratched because it wasn't yeah, my decision to quit. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that's, yeah. And it's, I mean, like you saw me at, at Cadwell now, so I still go and I do the, the commentary with um, with Duncan Vincent and used to do it with Fred Clark, which got me into doing, we used to go and do the MotoGP at Silverstone, me and mm-hmm. me and Fred. That was mega. So, you, you know, I you bet. walked paddock. By then, Cal Crutchlow was into was at MotoGP, so I got to meet all the you know the mega riders. I've had some me and Colin Edwards one night. That's a I bet that's a proper story right there. I guarantee with Edwards. Yes, <laughs> the Texan. Yes, oh, yes. we went into. Um, I gotta hear it. We gotta the, hear it, Howie. But what is now the the R and F team? Right. Um, yeah. Was being it was still the Moto Three team then run by Stiggy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'd gone round. We'd gone round, I'd gone round with someone else for to, to say locust brains that now is Josh Brooks's chief head mechanic was, was there and we're good friends. So we went round for a drink and Colin turned up and then they asked us if we wanted to stay for dinner. And then Colin's looking at me and he's like, ah, man, you can probably drink a bit. I'm like, well, I don't, yeah, I can do it. <laughs> so we got the grapper out and we were drinking like shots of grapper, grapper out of a coffee mug and actually I ended up at Absolutely upside down drunk, at steaming, steaming. In fact, <laughs> Lorenzo, Lorenzo, run into me in the paddock on his scooter because I was walking. All, I was trying to get back. Great. To the 
And I nearly battered Lorenzo for hitting me, but it was my fault. I was like, what? what? <laughs> you probably would have snapped that dude in half. Yeah, Lorenzo's not making the race today. Why? Because some bloke from Yorkshire's leathered him. Whooped his and, ass. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. You ain't um, just shoulder chuckle. And he got, I turned up late for my commentary with Fred and live on air on BT Sport in the UK, they had to go knock Colin Edwards up at his motorhome and he come to the door in just his boxer shorts like that. Like, mate, we're live on air. Where are you? Oh, I'll be doing it. Yeah. He, uh, yeah, that was a that was a fair drinking night. <laughs> <Good night. laughs> Have you ever been to Edwards's boot camp in Texas? No, no. I've um I've always wanted to go. And I've actually wanted to come, and I'm not just saying this because this is a US podcast. It's America's a bit of a, a, a dream of mine to go and spend quite a lot of time there at some point. I'm <laughs> gonna have to wait till the boy gets a bit older. Now I moved when I was younger for a little while. I went, I was gonna go touring, and my uncle lives in Bermuda. Nice. So we went there, and the idea was to do six months in Bermuda and then go across to the States and do a bit of a tour of the States and then maybe fly off somewhere else. But mm-hmm. after after three weeks in Bermuda, I got my visa revoked and sent home. Oh, <laughs> I couldn't imagine, right? Yeah. Uh, bearing in mind, Bermuda's a very small island. It's 21 miles long by a mile wide. And the wow. speed limit there is 20 miles an hour or something. And as a, a non-resident, wow. you can only hire scooters. And I got done for speeding six times and I wrote On six a scooter. Times. Nice. <laughs> I went to the police station to get a bollocking and they basically just ripped my visa up and said, mate, you need to go home. You're a liability. You would love America, man, because here yeah. we have a rule for, for motorcyclists called don't stop for cops. <laughs> we, Facts, right? We, 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 we don't condone that, by the way, but no, that rule is out there. <laughs> yeah, Mike. Let, listen, if you ever find your way out here, man, you uh, my house is open to you, man. Me, Costa, you, Costa, you can always stay with me. Yeah, well, you, I'm, your I'm, wife, your son, come on. Yeah, I've got to, you know, name check here a little bit, but I'm quite f- good friends with with Ben Spees, one of your own. Yeah, um, and hey. he's always telling me to to come out, man, come out, come and come and see us. And so I will get there. I will get there one day. Like I say, I think the the boy needs to get to about four or five now, so it's a yeah. couple of years away. But but no, I'd love to. I'd love to. Yeah. Yeah, and you'll come back probably like. 15 pounds heavier all that drinking <laughs> no doubt no doubt 30 right. kilos facts right and, 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 and all the different food we got c- compared to over good there, old right? texas barbecue yeah that's a good <laughs> it is yeah yeah for it, sure like like it's I, I i have a friend from from the uk that's coming to visit soon and he's like he's really excited to see how big everything is here and i'm just like bro you don't even know the half of it like mm. it, it, everything here is a freaking spectacle except for Moto America, and I'm really upset by it. So if I were to ask somebody who's who's live, who who lives, sleeps, eats, breathes, dies, British Superbike, right? If you were to give us advice, or like like me and Chris are Moto America, if you were to give us advice on uh, what we can do to get better, or some innovation ideas, like what 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 advice would you give us? Well, I'm, I mean, I think. With, with Moto America as it is now, I think it's coming back a lot stronger than than it. You know, it it, pro, it really did die a death, and yeah. when all the factories pulled out, it, it was horrendous for you guys. And then obviously Wayne took over, and Stuart Higgs from BSB has, has, has had a lot of input, and so has Scott Smart with the technical regulations. Mm-hmm. So it's you know I think they need to stay on that path. But I think what's what's going to be one of the biggest saving things for for, for you guys over there is is the bagger racing. Because it's a little bit more relevant, it's a bit more prevalent, isn't it? And it's great racing. It's it's amazing. Man. Awesome. I have a it connection is. with that because Kyle is it Kyle Wyman? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. 
my friend Dave, who used to span a Philly. Dave Hopkins. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I know, all, I know yeah. him. Yeah, yeah, I know Dave. Yeah, so I've got a connection there because I once mentioned to Dave, I thought, I thought if I went to the States, the prize money at that time wasn't bad. I thought I could come and do this. And he went, mate, he said, the prize money's there. He says, but your insurance is ridiculous. He says, you, you don't really... People think it's going to be easy money because you can finish in the top ten and make a few make a few quid, but it, it's just not like that. So, so that that was. But, but yeah, I mean, they do. They've got the baggers and you've got the other class with the, that style of bike, haven't you? Um, and I think it's just things like that. you've to innovate and find out what the what the public want, um, and it just needs. I think it just needs more support from from the manufacturers or, or sponsors out there. But because you're racing over such a vast area. It's really hard because you, yeah. you know, you've got your few guys at the front on the on the top bikes, but then some of the bikes a little bit further back. That some of the good guys, are, they're old bikes now. There's a 2017-18 BMW there. You know, it's it's just not going to do anything. It, it can be there and thereabouts, but no. yeah, it's it, it, it's tough. It's tough. Yeah. You, you've just, but I think you see, it's probably in a better situation than it's been for a good five years or so. I agree. Um, I mean, it helped through COVID because you guys were the first ones to start going racing again. Yeah. We got streamed oh, over here. Yeah, people yeah, were yeah. all watching that because there was nothing else to watch. Right. <laughs> people got into it a bit more, you know? No, Especially. yeah, facts. And you know what else hurts us, man? We don't have no – you hit the nail on the head, man. We, we have no factory teams in, in Moto America, right? I, I think the closest factory team we have is HSBK Ducati because you see Ch uh, Paulo Chabotti show up and some of the Ducati yeah. engineers, but you don't – as far as that goes, we don't have a direct factory road race team in America I mean, I'm like sure we used to. In the same way at BSB, it's not, you know, you're a factory supported team rather than a factory team. Their factory is not paying for your bikes like they did once of a day, you know, when right. you have the, the HRC teams and stuff. So it's, you know, there's still two or three, you know, probably a $2 million a year enterprise that the HSBC, uh, the cat is over there. Um, oh, sure. Birdie used to put a fantastic amount of money into into it, but yeah, it's more factory support than a full factory team. But that's what they've got to find is is a is a balance on the on how much the bikes are. I mean, it's it's got tough now because Ducati have made, made such a good bike in World Superbikes, British yeah. Superbikes. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's I, to be honest, I should have looked into to Moto America a little bit more, but I don't know how many wins the Ducatis had, had this year, but. They're quite a. They're like a very well. Uh, Zavi won the won the Super Sport champion on the nine five nine, and Josh Heron, I think has won two races. He's so Josh Heron is the second. I think yeah. he's second behind Gagne, right? Or was it Bobier yeah. still? So yeah. on the BMWs, I mean the BMWs are are really strong this year, yeah. man. Yeah, are you, you guys are still on Dunlops, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, we race American Dunlops, yeah. not not the European Dunlops. So yeah, yeah, yeah. We yeah, got yeah. those plastic Hot Wheels tires, bro. Yeah, I was I was telling Ben Ben the other week we were on a late night chat and we were on about the differences between the American Dunlops and the, and the Europeans and he went it's night it's night and day difference. It is because yeah. we were talking about the feel that you get from the Pirellis and I said I could never get a feel for the for the Pirellis when we changed to the one mate tire. Mm. And he was like, mate, you wanted to try riding the Dunlops over here. That'll tell you about no feel. That's why I, I feel like they ride the way they do. Like, it's so easy to to, to kind of fishtail the bike into corners. That's why you see, like, in every slow motion, they, they be doing that because they're riding on soap. <laughs> it levels, it does level it out in Moto America a little bit because it is Dunlops. Because, I mean, all yeah. the, the Ducatis and, and the Yamahas and such, they kind of all made, made now and based around running the Pirelli tyres. You know, yep. Honda... Honda cleaned up at Suzuka 8 Hour on Bridgestones. You know, the Bridgestone is still the, 
an, an amazing front tyre. But I think that's where you get that little bit of difference at, at, at Moto America that other teams <clears throat> are not having their ass handed to them like they are in World Superbikes and that because it's a completely different tyre so they can't take all that data from, from, from Europe and, and put it into those bikes. You've kind of got to find your own path. Yeah. So, I mean... Right. Mm. No, you're the, right. Go ahead, Jules. On, on, on the British Superbike end, man, like I... I, I, I'm slowly starting to get into it just a little bit more. Um, Dude, BSB fan. is the shit. Come yeah, on, man. Yes. fan of, of Danny Buchan. I love that guy. Mm. I don't know what it is about him, but, you know, there's something, there's something about that dude that I really love. But the, the competition is, is, is so, so good out there, man. And, and I just feel like it's not, it's not always a runaway race. Like, like comparative to Moto America, like Superbikes, it, it ends up being a runaway race. Um, our super yeah. sport class. Ends up being a runaway race. Yeah. Stock one thousand ends up being a runaway. So that, that that's what I like about BSB and, and World Superbike to an extent. But man, uh, uh, if if there's if there's a couple people that that are in your radar that you know for someone like me who's just getting into it, who do you think I should watch and why? Well, um, well, let's let's just start off with with Danny Buchan because I once got into. A little bit of trouble with Danny and his um, his mechanic at the time, Sam Palmer. Um, we're good friends, we're great friends. But I once said on a on a podcast because Danny is just phenomenal in Superstock, um, mm. and I said that I said the difference between him running on Superbike when he was struggling a little bit in the beginning and, and he'd not won a race yet. I said he's obviously more comfortable on a bike with a little bit of traction control, and he's struggling on the the bigger Superbikes with the more powerful engines because the um, you know, that he hasn't got that backup of the, the traction control. It could just be a mind thing. Um, mm -hmm. But what I did go on to say was, which saved my ass. I said at the end <laughs> of the interview, I said, what I want to see, and I stand by it now to this day, because Danny Buchan is going to be the, one of the greatest British riders never to get to World Superbikes. And I swear to him, and I stand by it now, if Danny would have gone to World Superbikes four years ago, he would at least have finished second in the championship by now, if not won it. He is incredible. He's a mega rider. He's had a crap season on the on the BMW. It's been hard work for him. Um, and I hope that he, he finds a decent ride in Superbike next year. Or if not, takes a year to come back to Superstock. Um, you'll watch him. He will clean up in that. Um, but he's, but he's, he's, his mechanic and Danny said to me at the time, he said, listen, we, it's just, I'm just, I can just ride a Superstock bike with the world. So we run next to no traction control, if any at all. But... They didn't like the fact that I'd said it that way, that he right. could only ride with traction. But no, I stand by that. Danny should should have been to World Superbikes. It just it just never happened for him. So, I mean, guys to watch now, it's cool. I mean, um, Kyle Ride. Kyle Ride, I've always rated him as yeah. one of the... Yeah. I've watched Kyle from Moto3 in, in the UK and whatnot mm -hmm. and always stated that if you watch Kyle at the side of the track, he's one of the best natural riders ever seen in my life yeah. what that kid can do on a bike that people miss because <clears throat> he might not have won the race but some of the things he does at times are just unbelievable yeah He's, i, I really rate kyle He's smooth on, on that yamaha it's like really writing style yeah. and he's he his teammate vickers again yeah. he, he, had, he had a troublesome time on, the, on mm -hmm. the bmw last year but i always knew if he was on a different bike i don't know why i didn't think the bmw would suit him and it, and it was proved right that it didn't and he jumped on the yamaha which is very much more it's slightly more of a 600 style. It is. And Ryan, Ryan was good on a 600. Uh, so mm -hmm. he's coming up. So I think he's one to watch for the next year or two. If Yamaha can just keep up with the development bit and make that bike that little bit better so it stays competitive and doesn't go the way that the Kawasaki's gone now where it's just starting to lag. Right. 
Ryan Vickers is one to watch. Max Cook, the yeah. young kid, he's got a bright future in front of him. Um, and then even you're, the, the old stalwarts, really, people like Leon Haslam. He's a he's on a private yeah, really team. It looks it looks like it's a big kind of factory effort because it's the same sponsors as the the World Superbike team. But Leon's doing an awful lot on his own this year, and if they can if they can build that into something next year, you could see Leon having a, a genuine yeah. fight for one last championship. I think yeah. so. So yeah, I think they're the they're the guys to watch. I'd love Josh Brooks to to roll back up the front because he's a, he's a top guy. Brooksy, you know, he had, yeah. He had a tough time when he come to BSB because there, there was an accident and yeah. he's bad boy Brooksy for a while. But he's just, he's a really great guy that he's, he's like us. He's just bikes, bikes, bikes. Yes. He's a bit mm-hmm. more motocrossy, but he just lives and breathes him. So he's, you know, he's a really good kid. And man, watching Brooksy over that mountain was phenomenal, bro. Jumping Caldwell Park, I was like, "Holy the shit!" The mountain, period. Yeah. I, I want to see that in freaking person, yo. Like, Listen, dude, I'm telling you, you got to. It's, I can it's never nothing. believe that shit. Another one, Jules too, is Storm Stacy, uh, Charlie Nesbitt, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, all yeah, those yeah, guys. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Gorman, big shout out to him. Yeah, all mm-hmm. those guys. Yeah, I think was it? Oh no, it's Harley McCabe. Harley McCabe, a young kid. Yep from uh, from a place called Halifax. Um, not far from us. Mm-hmm. He um, he's been accepted for the Red Bull rookie uh, testing, so he's so he's going to be going doing that. Yeah, yeah. Yep. There's there's a lot of bright prospects for 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 the British championship. And it, like you said, the the one thing that Stuart Higgs never does that the the boss of BSB he never gets lets it get stagnant. He'll make a yeah. rule change. He will keep it competitive in in whatever yeah. way he can. Um, there's going to be a few rule changes next year, I believe, that are going to bring the racing even closer together. Um. If it ain't plenty close already, as far right, as yeah, that, yeah, exactly. But right, the, yeah. the thing is, what what we kind of see now is the same kind of six or seven at the yeah, front. There's a lot of different yeah. winners. Uh, we just want they just want to bring them guys that are, are kind of hovering a bit, just that little bit further forward, so that right. there'll be more race wins. I mean, like you said there, Charlie Charlie Nesbit that it was a baptism of fire at Thruxton, you know, on the podium and doing all that. And Thruxton's a very very unique circuit, and it can. I mean, it's, he suffered since because he had an awful time at Cadwell. Yeah. You can have a win at Thruxton, and it might be your only win of the season because it's such a it's a very strange track, and it can mm-hmm. give you too much confidence. But make no mistake, in the next year or so, Charlie Nesbitt will be a, a British Superbike champion if, if he stays here. If he, you know, if he doesn't go to World Yeah, no, Char- Charlie's awesome. He's amazing. Like His talent to- is <laughs> is phenomenal. He it really is. I was um, like about to follow a few people on Instagram. But uh, so so like also, uh, Michael, why don't you tell everybody that like here in America in the Superbike class, right? We got full on tracks control, you know, anti wheelie, all that stuff. But a lot of people don't know British Superbike man. They don't have all those electronic aids on the Superbike. They're super Superstock class has more electronics than the Superbike class. Go yeah. figure that one, right? Apparently, Gagne's bike has a specific mapping for every corner of the track that he's in. Yeah. I think that's freaking nuts. <laughs> yeah. it's, and it's one thing that would help more to America if it, if it was taken away. I wasn't really sure about the electronic rules. And it's not <clears> – <throat> excuse me. It's not – when it was brought in, in – in, so we trialed it in 2010. As I said, I was riding the Suzuki and the, yep. the, the Superbike Cup guys are on the rules that the BSB is on now. And what it was, it was to help the lesser teams that couldn't afford the, the, the data engineer that had all the all the backing behind him and all the knowledge that the smaller teams, because you'd taken everything away, the traction control programs and the anti-wheelie programs and this, that and the other, 
it was there primarily to help the teams compete rather than going, we want the riders to be able to do everything. Yeah. But subsequently, it made the riders... I mean, some people don't understand that they think, oh, World Superbikes have got traction control, then bikes are so easy to ride and they're much easier than... Be it's a different way of riding. But by no means is it any easier. Fucking hell. It's, you will <laughs> no. see guys go to World Superbikes that struggle with traction control because... Your mid corner, mid corner, and you've to go full power. You know your data man is telling you you must bind that bike onto full power. Now, if you did that in BSB with no traction, you're off to the moon. It's so it's it's a very different way of riding, and it's it's no better, it's no worse. But what it does help, the reason why it makes the racing closer, is because the guys with all the money haven't got that advantage of all that data engineering stuff and setting things up like you say for each corner and things right. like that. I mean, you can still within the rules of BSB, you can knock power out of, say, third gear. So when you're asking for 80% throttle, it will only give you 60. Right. But that's only in certain gears, not on certain corners. Right. Um, mm -hmm. and, it, and, it, and it does work really well. But, yeah, you, you're riding something that's 235, 240 brake horsepower on that alone. And it, and it really is all down to you. And, it, you know, it's, it's just an adaption. It's just an adaption. And it's... Is is, is is that like why you think like Bradley Ray is like having a little bit of a turbulent type of season? Yeah, it's like getting used to it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and also you've got to remember Bradley missed quite a lot of the season because his team, his team's not doing the flyaways, so he's not getting all the time on the back there. Yeah. If he'd have gone to say Pata Yamaha, it'd have a lot more people behind him, and again, all the data he might be able to look at the data after Top Rack's done his session. Right. But they're not there setting it all up and doing it all. So, yeah, he just needs a lot more time. And if that team take him around the world next year, Bradley will come on. Bradley's Bradley's a he's a very, very good rider. And yes, he is. Yeah. Well, he's maybe, a champion. Well, I mean, Pata Yamaha has an extra seat next year. <laughs> well, you well, know, no, right? Johnny Ray signed, doesn't he? Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Johnny Ray, yeah. Oh my god, I forgot about that yeah. one. How'd you, yeah, Johnny Ray, yeah. I'm yeah. so used to seeing him in Cowie Green, yeah. It's it'll be odd, won't it? Watch, I mean, Johnny Ray, weird. I raced with Johnny Ray in 2006. He was on the Red Bull, was he on the Red Bull Honda? I think so, yeah, yeah. Yep. And I remember at Silverstone. I was having a torrid time, and it was the, the old international circuit, so not the full GP, but not the short one that we do right. now. We're like in between, and I just couldn't find—I just couldn't find a setup. I was really struggling on the bike, and I came in during qualifying for for a tire, and back then qualifying was forty-five minutes long. And my, and my team owner, team manager, went, "You are not getting a qualifying tire. You are fucking two seconds a lap slower than where you need to be. Never mind." Yeah, Jesus. <laughs> he said, "He said, go back out. Give me a time." He said, "Then you can have a qualifier." And uh, so I went and did my outlap. And you know where on the old pit straight at, at Silverstone, you go round turn one and then you come out of on pit lane onto, onto the thing going into Maggots and Beckett's. And Johnny Ray was coming out of pit lane. So he was on his outlap. And I just got right on the tail of him. He looked at me and saw it was me like. And he tore me round on his outlap. And I went two seconds a lap quicker and come in and got me qualifying hey. tail. So then, but then you understand how much talent these kids have got when he's on his outlap. And he can bring me on by two seconds. You know, it was it was always going places. Um, yeah, I had a good. I had a really good relationship with the Honda guys back then because because of Carl Harris. Um, yeah. You know, my, my best friend. Yeah. So no, it's. But it is going to be odd. 
it is going to be odd because he was, I mean, he was a Honda man forever, wasn't he, Johnny? Um, he was. Oh, yeah, that's also true. Yeah, yeah. he did. And, th and then he went to Kawasaki and it was weird seeing him in green. Now it's going to be the same thing seeing him in blue. But Mike, Joined I. Antichrist. Of listen. <laughs> I, I think at Johnny's stage, where, where he's at in his career, he needs that change. He needs that new challenge. He needs to a new atmosphere, a new environment yeah. in order to get him winning again, right? Um, and I think he'll win for sure. Now, top rack on the BMW, uh, man, it's kind of hard to hard to call um, if if top rack's going to shine like he did on the Yamaha. I, I think he will, but that remains to be seen if too as can, well. If they can set that BMW up. To, for the way that Top Rat rides, because he rides in a very, very different way Unique. to every other rider. Does, I, think, yes. mm -hmm. I really do think that the BMW might, it might be the thing that it's missed is someone riding the way Top Rat does. It's gonna, yeah. it, honestly, it's gonna go one way or the other. It's yeah. gonna be frighteningly fast with him, or he's gonna really struggle. But yeah. I do know, I know the team around. behind him, Sean Muir's guys. Um, yep. Again, I've had a, a really good relationship with Sean over the years. I bought. Um, a Yamaha off him in 2014 that had a Ben Spies uh, World Superbike chassis. That was a fucking bit of kit. Phenomenal, right? Yeah. yeah um, so he's got the right guys behind him, and I think that's why Sean's kind of chased it and BMW have chased it, because I think they think that the way their bike is, because it's so much out and out power, that the way top the way top rack breaks so hard, he will stop that bike in the corner and he will fire it out and he will get the advantage of the I think the BMW struggles with edge grip. Well, with top rack the way he rides. He might not need that edge grip like other riders do. He might yeah. be able to sit it up and, and, and go. So, we'll, yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see. Dude. Yeah, he, he he reminds me of the old proper school of racing, right? Uh, get it in, square it off, shoot it out. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, 100%. That, that was the, the kind of school I was I was from when I when I first started superbikes because we didn't have again in all six we didn't have traction control. We did get some in two thousand and eight, but it was quite a basic form because we right. just didn't have the money. So that was always us stop and stop and go. On, on the big superbikes, right. <clears throat> which is why to this day I can't ride a 600 for shite. It's it's, <laughs> it's laughable. What people kids have passed me on the metric kits. You know what I mean? The, the, I the children, the children these days, man, especially the ones coming up in Moto America. I'll shout them all. They they, they they know who they are. The future, and uh, I can't I can't wait to see what what Top Rack does in that BMW because I think he's yeah, the future. We all are. You know what I mean? But um, gentlemen, uh, I'm, I'm gonna have to take off. I gotta go ahead and clock into my actual job. All right, so. Jules. Appreciate you jumping in. Appreciate you, Howie. It was nice talking to you, man. We'll, we'll yeah, talk again to soon. You, dude. Chris, the whole effing mega show sim co. See you guys. At the All right, time. Jules. <laughs> but yeah, man, I, I think that uh, Top Rack is. Uh, I think you're right on that. I, I think he's either going to do big or he's just going to be shit on it, right? Um, yeah. So yeah, we'll, 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 it, it remains to be be seen, man, for sure. Uh, I, I think that the state of World Superbike is 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 really good um and everybody complains about alvaro man i'm like listen you can't you know 500 revs take away this take away that it's like look man you know alvaro he can't help that he gels so well with ducati i mean it's it's hard yeah it's hard to beat a a a, a team where a rider just gels is one with the motorcycle and it's just frighteningly fast everywhere if right was, if it was purely just the motorcycle then it'd be every Ducati, one, two, three, four, five, right. six. And Alex Lasani, all them guys would be winning, right? Yeah. Well, the others get decent results here and there, but it's just Alvaro. The first year that Alvaro was on the Ducati years ago, before he went to Honda, you know, he, he was destroying the field, and then it, it, it fell apart. He fell apart like a cheap watch towards the end of the season. He did. Um, and this this year, you know, and last year, he just proved that at the minute, him and that bike together are just a cut above the rest. Well. 
you know, it's down to the other teams, the, the other manufacturers, the, you know, the, the Yamahas and the Kawasaki's, the development rate has slowed them so much. Um, you know, some can say due to, due to COVID and stuff, because it's the same in MotoGP where, they, where they're also struggling there. Um, but it really is, you know, Ducati have produced something in MotoGP and, and World Superbikes and BSB that it's down to the other guys to catch up or the rules get completely rewritten from, from top to bottom so that they can't use these um, homologation specials. And, you know, we, we, bring it, we bring the cost right back down and, and use a much more, you know, the, there's, there's the VR4, which is 1,000cc, but most of the Ducatis you see on the road are, are the 1,100, 1,200cc right. V4s, aren't they? So do we take the homologation specials away? Maybe. But then the, the old cynic in me used to love the things like the RC45s and, and you know, the, the ZX7Rs and, you know, the proper homologation special bags. So do you know? It, it really is down to Yamaha and Kawasaki's and Honda to to catch up. You can't penalise Ducati for doing something so well, can you? You know, it, to to that extent, sometimes you've got to let the others catch up and, and pull the finger out. A hundred. I mean, listen, I hundred percent agree with you. It's like, what do you do? I, I think that. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I would love to see us go back to the old proper school way of racing, right? But mm. the way technology is, I mean, Michael, it's just not going to happen. I mean, it's it's. Mm. Yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. But listen, dude, we've been talking a lot about racing. Let's get into what Michael likes to do because uh, I eat shit and breathe motorcycles just like you do, man. So what do you like to do away from racing when you're not into racing at all? But mostly, watch racing. <laughs> I knew you was going to say that because I'm the same way. I watch racing. Like I, like I said to me far earlier on in the interview, I am I'm genuinely consumed by it. So if I'm not at a race meeting, I'll be watching MotoGP, I'll be watching World Superbikes, and I'll watch reruns, and I'll try and pick things out, and I and I listen a lot to to the journalists, so I can pick things up and try. You know, sometimes I I shoot myself in the foot by knowing too much but not enough, yeah. so I can go into a subject about things and and sometimes get it wrong. But I'm not bothered. People ask me questions, and I'll try and answer them. And if I know if I know the answers, you know, something's gone in in MotoGP, you know, specs. I remember. Years and years ago, when Ducati first started with the, the lunchbox on the rear of the MotoGP bike, yep. and I'd rather, because I'd been in the MotoGP paddock at Silverstone, and I'd been basically told that it was what it was. It was this, um, this mass damper in the rear. And trying yep. to, to then explain that to people, we, me and Fred talked about it over the tannoy, and I'd looked online about what a mass damper was and did, and Colin Edwards had told me that Yamaha had tried it a few years ago, blah, blah, blah. So I knew it was there. And even to the point of, Last, the, last year, there was a picture put on with a Ducati smashed up, and it, you could see you could see this mass damper uh, in the in the lunchbox, and it were, and I put the post up on Facebook and went, there you go, finally, I've been you know I, you can see there's the mass damper, and it was Josh Brooks that put a post up underneath. He said, are you sure that's nothing to do with the uh, the new ride out devices? So I removed the post because I shit myself. I thought, oh, <laughs> oh shit, you know, baby, yeah, I've right. Gone too early. I've gone too early. But as it turned out, no, I was bang right. So the day after I put it up, I went, yeah, there you go. That's the mass damper I've been talking about for so long. And um, so, yeah, and then from there, now say life's changed and life's good because I've got, um, you know, I've got a new son that's 14 months old. So I like to spend a lot of time with him. We, we, I have, a, I always have a day off a week where we go and have dad and dad and lad day, it's father and son day, because um, he's just getting that age now where he's walking around and being a little lunatic. He's, he's, he's awesome and. Hopefully, I can stop him going racing bikes and going playing golf, and I can retire on the back of him. Because um, <laughs> there's money in golf, 
Bike racing, you spend money. Golf, you earn money. Facts. And, no, you're so right. We're, you're, um, <clears throat> yeah. That's, uh, so, uh, listen, I, we have a question from Rich Gibson. Huge shout out to Rich. He's a good mate of mine. He said, ask Howie about the Devil's Canyon Championship, arguing with him online. <laughs> so, I think I think he's on about the uh, a guy. I think it, was, it might have been on Aprilia Forum. And, again, this is where knowing too much can get you in a world of crap because people yeah. don't want to listen. Yeah. And they do these canyon runs, don't they, in, in the US? Yeah. And he was, he basically put a pair of slicks on his bike. So I just I just said to him, I said, what the, why have you got them on your bike? Oh, for the grip and this, that, and the other. I went, you do understand about heat cycles and slicks. You know, you're not going to get them. Well, we're so fast and I'm super fast and I'm mega fast. And I'm like, fucking hell, come and race me. Come and race me. You know, I, like, I can't, you can never say that online because it just makes you look like a cock. Right. Yeah. Um, it does. So, but he was, he was just, he kept being adamant about how fast he was. And I'm like, man, I don't care how fast you are. Listen to me, put some road tires on the bike, you know, like the, the super stock tires of old that look like a road tire, right. but they've got the slits in. Right. So they keep the temperature in better and they can go through more heat cycles. Right. And he just wouldn't have it. And he was adamant that he was so fast that he had to have slicks. I'm like, oh, fuck off at the end, you know, just uh, so, sorry to the mother-in-law there for swearing again. <laughs> yeah, I and that's the kind of thing I'll get myself into to bits of arguments. And it doesn't matter how much you know, how right you are. Some people will still argue that black is white with you. You know, it's, yeah. it's just a nightmare. But I need it to shut up. Yeah, I, 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 I get in arguments with, with people like that too offline all the time. They're always picking my brain. And, and then I feel like they're, they're, they're only picking my brain to argue with me, right? Yeah. It's, it's like – Listen, I just I tell you what facts I know, and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, and yeah, we'll just. We'll, that, we'll that's just, exactly it. If I'm yeah. so adamant about something, and it turns out that I'm wrong, I'm the first person to hold my hands up and say, "Guys, me I'm too. Sorry, I was absolutely wrong." Yep. Um, but my job at BSB doing you know doing the commentary, it's my job to know enough and explain things to to race fans that are not massively technical, and you know they they don't really care what's in the engine. So you you, you know yeah. you try and kind of. You say enough and, and let them know that you know about the tyres and how long they're going to last and, you know, why this, for instance, pardon me. No, you're good. Going, ex just a simple explanation on trying to explain to people how the V4 and the inline fours differ so much <clears throat> or used to do. So an inline four used to, be, you used to struggle to turn it in, but once it was in, you'd hold a line really well. Um, and this is coming from brainy people. Um, that, that, that have told me this so it's not just me this is guys like Matt Oxley that are the greatest right. journalists and riders that have ever right. been and the V4 before all the aerodynamics came into it they turned in very well but wouldn't hold the line so the V4s used to stop and start because they couldn't hold the line and that's what Marquez was so good at yep. now the reason why the inline 4s are struggling a little bit the Yamahas in, in MotoGP is because with all the aero the V4 can now turn in and it can hold the line and off they go so they've mm -hmm. now got that corner speed that the Yamahas used to excel at, which is what was their um, their strength. So it's not, you know, that's it's not word of law as in, you know, that is it and it's a matter of fact. It's just what Matt Oxley said, and after riding bikes for years, you, you kind of understand it. It's not always the truth because people do ride motorcycles in different ways, but just something roughly like that, and you say it to people and off they go. And they know somebody that once worked in a bike dealership in the back end of nowhere that's got told of a 75-year-old bloke that rode a fucking note. And that, yeah. You know, and it's it's like, mate, things have changed. So now, like I say, it's not... The V4 has now got its advantage 
over the inline because it can hold the line. So, so things have changed and moved on. So it's not always the, you know, your answer's not always going to be right forever. So you'll get yeah. someone coming back after a few years going, I told you so. It's like, yeah. Man, we're talking about 2004, right? Yeah, yeah. That's that's then they were talking. Yeah, technology's come so far, right? Everybody thinks. Uh, I mean, let's keep it simple. Tires round and black, right? But but they don't understand. It's like look at Danny Perdosa before Michelin brought out that tire, and I think it was 2016. And if you looked at his progress up before then, man, he was fast, top three all the time, right? After that, he was total shit, and then he retires. And then they bring out a softer tire. Now he's a test rider for KTM. And how brilliant is you got a guy that's been retired for six years, show up to MotoGP race, and beat all your factory riders in the oh, same team, right? It's funny you should mention that because I was listening to a podcast earlier about this very subject. Now, really? So this is um, – I will have to credit, credit sorry, Matt Oxley and Peter Bomb because this was on their podcast. So if you guys, if you don't know who they are, find them on Spotify. Matt Oxley is an ex-racer and a, a MotoGP journalist that's been in the paddock forever. Peter Bomb is a, an ex-crew chief. He won Cal Crutchlow's World Supersport title with him and he, he's been in the paddock. 2012, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they was actually they were talking about this in the podcast today. It's a really interesting listen. They were... So in when Danny's season went to crap when the Michelin uh, took over from Bridgestone, they um, it brought a tire to to one of the tests and basically this is what they're saying. This is not me, so don't start bastardizing me and shouting. Go and listen to their podcast. But basically, Scott Redding was dicking around on this new rear tire and it exploded. Wow! It wasn't. It was just messing around and having fun. But Michelin couldn't have it then. Because they couldn't have their tire exploding, it's really bad for, for yeah. But so then they brought the harder tire in. Danny could never get the heat into it. So then, like you say, so then he, he, he retires. Then Michelin bring a softer tire back out later on, and that's why he's now flying on the KTM and doing so well. So yeah, it, it's interesting you brought that up, but but that's what it was. And Cal Crutchlow apparently gave Scott Redding a load of crap for that. Like you dicking around, you fucking, you know, we had a really good rear tire, and now it's gone. It's um, yeah, it's it, 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 it's a real bit like I say. Go and have a listen to their podcast. I can't remember what it's called, but just find Matt Oxley on Instagram or Facebook or anything and, and go and yeah, have a Spotify, listen. all very, that good stuff. Very, yeah. very technical. Not really funny, but if you want to know, if you want half an if you've got a spare half an hour to want to find out about the technical things of racing, those guys are spot on. Top notch. Yeah, absolutely. So what do you think of the Mark Marquez debacle with HRC? I know, right? I, I get a lot asked that too, Howie, all the time. I'm like, it's. I mean, a lot of it this year, I've noticed, but again, this is my, my personal thought, and so you can shoot me down for this, guys, if you want, but I think a lot of it has been played up an awful lot that Marquez is going to leave and this is happening. And I think Donna have been loving it because it, it's been keeping the excitement going. Is Marquez going to go? Is Marquez going to stay? I'm 99.99% sure. Marquez was never going anywhere. It may have yeah. discussed with other people, but... You don't just get out of a 25 million euro contract to go and ride for Grassini, which is a, a privateer team. Why would he want to go and ride on a privateer bike? He would surely stay where you are on the HRC bike because to get out of that contract, he would probably have to pay nearly all the money. They've looked after him since he, through, through all his injuries. So I think a lot of that was a lot of hype and media that HRC and I think Marcus fueled the fire a bit, but it's so it's so difficult to say what they they've been chasing the tail for for a year or two there's a lot of the chassis and things been coming back and forth since 2019 that you can physically see was 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 the same thing 
they, they just bring him back and train and train and train, you know. And it doesn't help to have all your riders at one time. I think it was last year. All four riders were on a different chassis. I'm yeah. pretty sure. Or they, it was during one of the free practice sessions that all four riders were on a different chassis. So there's no data there. No. Um, you know, Alex Rins proved this year that at the right track, the Honda still got it. Marquez seemed to have a bit of a lull at some point this year where he just just looked disinterested and, and, and said, I'm not going to, I can't keep throwing it up the road. But he's he's correcting that. He can't. You know, he's getting older and he's, he's done himself a serious injury. So there's no point pushing for 10th. So no, what, what do you do? You kind of, and that's, in all honesty, I think I think that Mark Marquez and and Honda are going to regroup some quite considerably by the time we get to Valencia at the end of the year and do the test there um, and, and kind of get ready for next season. So I never thought it was going to leave because um, I just he would have gone if it, if if Ducati was going to take on Marquez and help him out of his contract, he would be on the the bike that. Um, Morbidelli got, just got on. Yeah, he yeah. would. He would go to Pramac. Yeah. Absolutely, they wouldn't want him on a twenty-two, a twenty-twenty-two no. bike or twenty-three bikes it'd be next year. It just, it's no good for anyone. But I hope, I hope that Honda finds something. Me too. But they're going to have to go down the route of, you know, they seem to be the engine doesn't seem to be quite there. That seems to be the struggle, and they're struggling with with grip, which is an aero thing. And this is where the argument about aero comes in, but. It's here now, and it's here till at least 2027, so it, so it stays. So it's down to Honda yeah. to do something for the, ne the next couple of years. It's a shame that the next rule change for MotoGP is so far away, because right now we need to get Yamaha and, and, and Honda back in the game. And, <clears throat> and people are complaining, like, well, there's eight fucking Ducatis out there. Well, there's eight Ducatis out there because the other team, the other manufacturers aren't good enough, so the privateer teams have wanted to buy a Ducati. Yeah. It's, at one time, every team in the paddock that was a privateer would have given the left testicle for a for a Yamaha. It yep, was the right to have as a privateer when Harvey Poncherell had the monster team. Everybody wanted it. It was easy to ride and you could get a result. And now it's just gone to, to the Cati. And what people forget as well, in the 90s and on the 500s and stuff, how many Hondas were on the grid? How many Yamahas were on the grid? You know, there was no Ducatis. Kajiva came in for, for a little while and watched it and Suzuki were kind of there, but there were as easily as many Hondas on the grid back then. And even at the very start of, of, of MotoGP, how many RCVs were there on? So it's, yeah. people keep going on about, oh, there's too many Ducatis. Well, get the other manufacturers to sort their bikes out and the privateer teams will want their bikes back. You know, it does need four Yamahas on the grid. You know, it does need four Hondas. Yeah. And that'll take away two Ducatis straight away. So then it's a little bit more of a level playing field. There'll be six Ducatis and, you know, it's so... Yeah, you can't, again, you can't knock Ducati for doing so well and people wanting their product. You can't, you, you know, and, and they've been the, the major player as far as aerodynamics and the whole shot device too as well, right? Which, man, to me, listen, I love MotoGP just like everybody else, uh, but everybody knows I'm a BSB person at heart. It's my favorite series, but uh, on MotoGP, man, I feel like it's just gotten uh, – too robot-y, right? Where, well, where you, yeah, yes, yes. You're racing a robot. You're not racing a motorcycle, and it's <laughs> yeah, just it's crazy. I don't agree with the the whole shot devices, and I don't agree with this. You know, letting the letting the rear down on the start finish straights because it detracts. You know, they started saying now that the racing's getting a bit tame because people can't. You know, they're not going to make the passes. They're not going to come out of the corner because they've got to do that and lower the rear. Yeah. All that ride out device stuff needs 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 to be gotten rid of, and that needs to be done before 2027. Because they'll end up 
MotoGP, I believe, will end up finding themselves in the same situation that they had when it came to the end of the 500 era. Yeah. When World Superbikes was huge. You know, Moto, you know, MotoGP of 500 Grand Prix, it was nearly gone. It yeah. got that close to 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 because the racing was just shite. It was. Um, and if they're not careful, they're going to find themselves in that same situation. Like I say, there's no getting away from the aero now. I don't think it's it's kind of there to say. And whatever they do in the rules in 2027, I think now that aero's playing such a big part and ground effect as well. Which somebody said, uh, an F1 guy said. They need to they need to stop chasing this ground effect thing with the aerodynamics. He says because it'll open a can of worms that you'll never get away from. He said and it will kill it. It will absolutely kill it. So that that more than the, the wings, you know, this ground effect thing that they are like yeah. on the pillow where they've got the bulges and and that will be developed further and further. He says it'll cost too much money and it will kill the racing. So yeah, I agree. It's, it's like I say, it's such a shame that we're so far away from from the rule changes because something needs to be implemented sooner. But Ducati, you know the. Uh, in the in in the Urta things and with Dorna, every single team has to agree to it to a change. Ducati are never going to agree to a change until twenty twenty three when they're winning it. So it's it's really really hard. So unfortunately, until then, the other guys have got to keep you know keep up. The Aprilia are doing a, a, such a sterling job. Um, they're not the, the company behind them, Piaggio, are massive and Excellent. could afford to compete against Ducati money wise. But I just don't think they put that uh, amount of money into it. I think they're just using their money very wisely and doing a very, very good job with, with a good bike. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. I mean, they, they, they've approved cut come a long way since the RSQ. Let's just be honest, right? That almost barbecued Colin Edwards. Yeah, and several German <laughs> McWilliams, right? Yeah. But what yeah. a beautiful machine that was. That RSQ was a proper looking bike. Mm, yeah. Again, it was the, the, because it I mean, it was Cosworth that built the engine, wasn't yes. it? And it was, yep. again, this use of. F1 technology and F1 style engines that just doesn't work in in, in, in yeah. motorcycles. It was half of an F1 engine or something. A bit like the, the MV Augusta that I rode, that was half of a Ferrari engine. Um, but it was so detuned so that it would stick, you know, so it would work. So I've got something stuck in my shoe. No, um, so it, that never made the power, but the, the, the cube made too much power, but all in the wrong places. And back then, the electronics weren't just advanced enough to be able to, to cope with it. But Jeremy McWilliams said it was a, a, a Pile to ride, shaky burn. You know, it's yep. it was a bit of a career ender, but but like you said, it sounded incredible, um, and it and it, and it looked amazing. Like Jeremy McWilliams once said, he asked him to quiet it down, and Donna asked Aprilia not to because it was it was a focal point of the racing back then. Yes, it was going nowhere, but it just sounded so incredible. So that it was Donna wanted oh it. God. Yeah, it was so mint, man. Yes, it was so mint. And then, of course, yeah, we 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 already touched on this. Uh, Yamaha really need to, to bring it up with clearly Fabio's not happy with Yamaha, and you know we all heard this a lot in the media. Everybody says they need to get get away with the inline four and go to V four. What's your th thoughts on that? Well, again, it, it's one of them things that. Someone in the media has mentioned it or said it on during a race and, you know, the commentators. So everyone's jumped on the back of it now and said they've got to have a V4. Well, <clears throat> Yamaha have come out plainly and simply said that before 2027, there will not be a V4. But also the amount of years it would take for Yamaha to develop a V4 that would be competitive. They probably won't work well into maybe 2030. Yeah. So is it the answer? What yeah. they've got to do is refine that package and go. They, they keep seeming to they can make the engine more powerful, but then they make it less rideable. Yeah. So 
met that engine with the, you know, this is easy for me to say, I'm just a clown in a workshop in, in the middle of Yorkshire in England, but met that power more usable and, and stop. You know, Fabio's kind of, he, he, I, I blame Fabio a little bit and some people who shoot me down, but he's basically developed that bike to a, to a complete stop because all he's wanted is power, power, power. And then when it's not doing what the, uh, the sorry, the Yamaha's strongest point was, was, was the corner speed, he's then complaining. So, it's a really going to change that bike to a V4 within the next four years. It's not happening. They may have already be planning a V4, but again, being the cynic in me, do we want them to, to build a V4? Can we not, you know, can they not find, you know, there's enough techn technologically advanced people in the world that could make the inline four work. They just need to find them because then everyone's on V4s. Yeah, so well, you might as well have a one-make championship then, you know, except that all the, the V4s want to the day, like with the, the Suzuki back when that was a V4 and, you know, the Aprilas when they first come in were all different kind of Vs. and yeah, it was all 90s different. and 70s and all that, yeah. Yeah, and now and now all the V4s are the same. Yeah. You know, and, you know, the Honda's starting to look very much like a Ducati. The Ducati's starting to look a bit like an Aprilia. The Aprilia looks like a Ducati and a Honda and the Honda wants to look like the... You know, you might as well have a one-make series. So no. Like NASCAR here in America, right? Yeah, yeah, might as well. Yeah, I personally hope that they don't. Yeah, um, I want them to, to find their own way with, with what they know and what they've done. I mean, you know, people saying, you know, I think it was Yamaha were the first people to have a V4 in 500s. So it's not beyond the realms of possibility that they could do it. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure. Oh, they had it before. I'm pretty sure they were. I might be wrong. But it, it, they, it they, right. they did have a V4 in, in the 500 era. They did. They did. And man, um, dude, the 500s were such proper weapons, right? Yeah. The two strokes, man. Oh, man, I miss those. Yeah. Yeah, just absolute animals. I mean, I do at BSB. I do the pillion laps. With, oh, do uh, you really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you get to go. I mean, there's a there's a video on my on my Instagram from from Sunday, and someone got on the back and basically just spent all, all going around Alton Park just on the back wheel with this woman on the back screaming a screaming a like a screaming banshee. She was. She loved it. Um, but I, I do them with Niall McKenzie, Neil McKenzie. Oh yes, yes. We get I get to have quite a bit of talk, and we talk about his sons and, and whatnot, and we're, and we're quite pally. But yeah, you, you listen to some of the things he tells you about the five runs, and you're like, because you, all you ever want to say is, "I love a go on one of them," and then it's like, "No, you fucking wouldn't." <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't. Trust yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like you know the, the way the power coming on some of them were, were, was incredible. I think by the time they, they were getting rid of him in Valentino Rossi's era. They were they were a quite a rideable machine because I think they were learning about cuts in ignitions and and, and things yeah. like that. So they weren't the, the wild animals, but yeah, there was a bit of an era of the five hundreds that was just insane, wasn't it? Yeah, it, absolutely. yeah, absolutely. Speaking of that, man, dude, next time I come out there, dude, you need to take me a ride around the track for sure. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it would be fun. I, I, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, man, listen, how we do? We're 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 an hour and thirty minutes into this podcast. It only seems like we've been on here for twenty minutes, right? <laughs> this is proper chat. So unfortunately, I'm gonna have to go back to work. So I'm gonna have to end the podcast. But listen, let's do a part two to this um, at the end of the year, and we can go over you know the the season in BSB and MotoGP and and continue this epic conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd absolutely love to come back. And I hope that the, the people are still watching that I put the link on for Facebook. So we'll see if we get a, a fairly decent review. I think uh, that the, the mother-in-law the mother will be quite happy because I'm not sworn too much. 
<laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, we've had a lot of viewers and, and a lot of Terry Stride. Man, listen, big shit out to uh, everybody that's watched the comment. Peter Marshman, thank you. What an honor it is to to be part of you and the team. Man, a, a, everybody that, that watches, I always tell everybody, Howie, uh, what an honor it is to be able to do this. And um, just all the love and support we get is just uh, – it, it, it's phenomenal. I mean, it really is. But uh, I'll be at Jersey at the end of the year th this weekend coming up for the last round of Moto America, which is going to be awesome. And, yeah, so listen, but before I end this, uh, Howie, why don't you tell everybody how they can find you on social media and, 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 and if they're in the U.K., how they can bring their bike and drop it off to you so you can properly get it done for them. Yeah, so if you, if you look on – if you want to find me on Instagram, uh, I think it's Howie2794, so it's H-O-W-I-E-2794, all one word on there. Uh, and on Facebook, it, it's Michael Howarth. Um, you'll normally it'll be a picture of me and the boy or a picture of me pulling a wheelie on a, on a bike. Um, so, yeah, no, please add me up. Uh, I'm, always, I'm always happy to talk to people and get into conversations and even arguments. If, if you want to have a Barney and, a, and, a, and, a, and an argument, I'm fine with that. But, yeah, and then for the guys in the UK, I mean, a lot of my people on Facebook know already I've opened this, this little bike shop called Motorcycle Stars that started off 12 months ago in my shed, the back of my eggs. Um, and we're prepping race bikes and building race bikes and servicing road bikes and things like that. Um, so if you need anything doing, come and come and hit me up and, and we'll look after you. It's, I don't specifically build engines and such, but I have engine builders. And the whole thing with Motorcycle Stars, it's a little bit that I want to make a little bit of a biker community. And it sounds really cheesy, but, it, but it's genuinely true. I don't want to start building engines here. I want people I know to do engines for me because they're the best in the business. And luckily, because of my contacts, I have them. So there's no point in me doing that. But I can prep one hell of a race bike for you. Believe me. Believe me. So, yeah. No, thanks ever so much for having me on. It's been an absolute blast. I'm going to go and have some tea, as we call it now, in, in the UK. And that's not a drink. That's food. It's tea time over here. Not not dinner time. It's tea it's time. Tea time. That's right. I'm, that's I'm, And I, I learned all about that being over there, right? Yeah. I was like, what's that? They're like, well, come on. Ha have a sit and i'm gonna show you all about it yeah it was, it was proper but yes michael man what an honor to have you on pin the gas podcast and looking forward to the next episode part two coming up listen everybody again thank you for watching thank you for tuning in what an honor it is to 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 be able to do this and in all, all the love and support man and thank you to everybody you know who you are i'd be on here for an hour giving shout outs to everybody uh so thank you very very much and uh yeah you guys already know where to find us we're on spotify so yeah mike tomorrow this episode will be out on spotify our heart radio and you know all, all, all that stuff that goes along with it so anyway until next time thank you guys for joining in on this epic podcast pin to gas thank you guys so much until next time see ya